Greetings and welcome to the Eat at Lou's podcast, a gustatory adventure in culinary delights. I am your host, Lisa Beisinger, and in this podcast, I cook up recipes from the past and taste them while talking about the history and science of food. In this episode, I will be making two recipes from the two-in-one international recipe card collection published by Random House in 1977. This recipe card collection is a little different from those that I have discussed in the past because it has recipes printed on both sides of the card. On the front side, there are recipes for mixed drinks, and on the back, there are recipes for hors d'oeuvres. There are literally hundreds of drinks represented on these cards in categories such as aperitifs, hot drinks and toddies, scotch and Canadian whiskeys, punch and festive drinks, as well as tequila. This recipe card index is also a treasure trove of recipes that make you go, huh, including card 40, Provencal caviar, which is not made with caviar, but instead anchovy fillets, olives, and tuna. Card number 168, a Christmas treat made of shrimp and curly endive adhered to a styrofoam cone, and card 207, curried tuna pate, which has such a high saturated fat content that it makes my arteries go, oh, no, 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 no. But I may make it anyway because the recipe seems interesting. For this episode, I'll be using recipe card number 208, which is in the rum section. This card has three recipes, but I'm only gonna make two. There's the banana daiquiri from the front of the card. I am definitely making that one. And banana mole from the back of the card. Now the third recipe is a recipe for plantain chips, but I'm just gonna use some multigrain tortilla chips left over from last night's hockey game. Since the banana daiquiri is a frozen drink, I'm going to start with the banana mole. The name of this dish could go two different ways. Is it mole, the Mexican sauce originating in the Mexican states, Puebla, Oaxaca, and Tlaxcala? Or is it guacamole with bananas? As it turns out, it is the latter. As it says on the recipe card, banana mole is a low calorie, low cost version of guacamole, substituting bananas for avocados. Use semi-ripe bananas since very ripe bananas will produce an excessively mushy dip. Keep banana mole in mind for those occasions when having planned out guacamole, you were unable to find ripe avocados. Nowadays, seasonal availability is a foreign concept to most Americans. Avocados, just like apples, blueberries, and strawberries are available throughout the year, but this wasn't always the case. In California, the avocado growing season runs from February until September. So avocados were a seasonal slash regional delicacy until the mid 1990s, when NAFTA paved the way for increased imports from Mexico. These changes in policy coincide with my own personal experience. Back in the 1980s, when I was a kid growing up in rural Pennsylvania, avocados were as foreign to me as rambutan and lychee. They probably showed up in our grocery stores occasionally, but I don't think I ever actually tried a whole avocado until I was in college in the late 1990s. I may have had some at Taco Bell or something, but I honestly don't remember thinking, ooh, this is an avocado. 
Today, we don't have to wait for the right season to make our guacamole. We can have it anytime we want. Mexico, which can produce avocados pretty much throughout the year, outpaces California in avocado production three to one. And with a little supplementation from Peru, Chile, and the Dominican Republic, we can get relatively cheap tree eggs pretty much any time of the year. This banana mole does not call for avocados at all. Rather, it uses a more ubiquitous fruit, the banana. It calls for four medium bananas, two tablespoons minced onion, two tablespoons diced green pepper, two tablespoons of chopped pimento, one half teaspoon of red pepper flakes, a quarter teaspoon of cayenne, two teaspoons of lemon juice, one teaspoon of lime juice, and a sprinkling of paprika. You start off this recipe by peeling the bananas, slicing them, and placing them in a mixing bowl. I forgot to pick up bananas while I was out today, so I'm not going to have bananas for breakfast if I make the whole recipe. So I am only doing a half recipe. So I'm going to slice up two bananas. Next, I need to mash them with a potato masher. It recommends that we do not use a food processor or blender for this because it will mush up the bananas too fine. That is nicely mushed. Next, I need to add my seasonings, which are cayenne pepper and red chili pepper flakes, some lemon and lime juice. I need a tablespoon of pimento, a tablespoon of pepper, and a tablespoon of onion. I'm going to start with the onion. And while I'm chopping, I'm going to start talking about bananas. Banana is an edible fruit from the genus Musa. Bananas are botanically berries. While the most popular banana in the United States is the Cavendish banana, which is consistent in size and color, different cultivars of banana vary in color, size, and firmness. The Musa species are native to tropical Indo-Malaya and Australia, and it is believed that they were first domesticated in Papua New Guinea. Today, there are 107 countries that grow bananas, and the banana plants may be used for their fruit or as ornamental plants, but they can also be used for their fiber. I have a lovely hat that was made with banana fiber yarn by my sister Gina. The genus Musa was created by Carl Linnaeus in 1753. Linnaeus is known as the father of modern taxonomy. So if you ever took a biology class, you might recognize his name for his pre-Darwinian theories of evolution. Linnaeus originally placed bananas into two species based on how they were used for food. These divisions are reflected in how the bananas are divided in the United States and Europe today. Musa sapintum was used as a dessert banana, like our Cavendish bananas today, and Musa paradisica was used for cooking. They're, they tend to be more starchy, like plantains. Unfortunately, these divisions fall far short of describing the true diversity of banana species, since as of January 2013, there were some 70 species of Musa recognized by the World Checklist of Selected Plant Families. 
The Cavendish banana is by far the most important banana cultivar, even though it only came into existence in 1836 when they were cultivated by the gardener of William Cavendish, the 8th Duke of Devonshire. The Duke sent two cases of these plants with missionaries on their way to Samoa, and the banana industry was born. According to the BBC, practically every banana in the Western world is directly descended from that plant that was grown at Chatsworth House 180 years ago. Unfortunately, this emphasis on a single variety of bananas is starting to catch up with us. A disease called Fusarium wilt, or Tropical Race 4, which sounds like an awesome action film starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Steven Seagal, and Vin Diesel. Well, this disease, with an awesome name, has spread from Asia to parts of Australia, Africa, and the Middle East, putting banana production at risk. If you grow tomatoes in the southern United States, you may have actually encountered Fusarium wilt. While the disease that attacks the tomatoes is a different species of the same disease, the symptoms are similar. It causes wilting, premature leaf drop, leaf yellowing, and a host of other symptoms. The best way to prevent Fusarium wilt is to rotate your crops. In tomatoes, this is fairly easy. You just don't plant tomatoes in the same place for multiple years in a row, which allows the disease to die since it no longer has a host. But bananas are trickier. The plants grow 20 feet tall, and it can take a banana plant about nine months to grow and produce a bunch of bananas. The life of a banana plantation is 25 years or longer, and the disease can stay in the soil for up to 40 years in tropical climates. Fungicides can be used, but they're not as effective because of field conditions. Right now, botanists are trying to cultivate mutant Cavendish bananas that are resistant to the disease. Taiwan has created a number of promising cultivars, but according to Ing Vandenberg, a senior banana scientist at Biodiversity International in Belgium, they're quite promising, but not necessarily as tasty or suitable for long-distance transport. For growers, traders, and families who depend on the banana industry, this disease can be devastating. Once a crop is infected, whole plantations are often destroyed to prevent the disease from spreading, and planting new varieties is very expensive. Billions of dollars are at risk, and since many of the countries that grow bananas are poor already, an outbreak can have disastrous consequences. Most of us have been spared from giving up our bananas since at this point, Latin America has not been affected by the disease. But consumers in the US and Europe could start seeing prices rise and new varieties beginning to appear within the decade. And I managed to successfully cut up the last of my ingredients. So my banana mole just needs to be stirred and it will be ready to chill. So let's talk about some of the health benefits of bananas. A study conducted by the Imperial College of London found that children who ate a banana a day had a 34% less chance of developing asthma. The fiber, potassium, vitamin C, and vitamin B6 in bananas also supports heart health, and high potassium intake is associated with reduced risk of stroke, protection against loss of muscle mass, and preservation of bone mineral density. And this one is just anecdotal, but I always try to eat bananas when I drink alcohol in order to prevent hangovers. And it usually works. 
This may be because I rarely drink enough to get a hangover. Still, there is some science behind it. When we drink, we lose electrolytes. And bananas contain the electrolytes, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, and a small quantity of calcium. Add in a couple of pickles for sodium and a couple of glasses of water to help rehydrate and a good night's sleep and I'm good to go the next morning. One other fun fact that I learned while researching is that bananas are also slightly radioactive because of their potassium content. Well, I've blathered on enough. Now it's time to make the drink to go with my banana mole. This banana daiquiri calls for 1.5 jiggers of light rum, a half jigger of lime juice, one teaspoon of superfine sugar, a half banana, and a half cup of shaved ice. Put the ingredients in a blender and blend until the ingredients are the texture of snow. Serve with a banana slice and a maraschino cherry if desired. The authors also recommend freezing the leftover banana and serving it as a refreshing summertime snack. I don't know how long they're keeping their bananas in the freezer, though. Because, you know, even now we're still a little bit far from summer to be saving it for summer. Oh well. Since this calls for the use of a blender, I'm going to time jump and come back for the tasting. And we're back. I have my daiquiri and my banana mole with tortilla chips, and now it's time to taste. So I'm going to start with the banana mole, and then I will have the banana daiquiri to wash my mouth out if it's totally unpleasant. Although I'm a little optimistic about this because I've had some avocados that had a very banana-y taste to them, and they worked great in guacamole. So actually, a little optimistic about this recipe. Nice big scoop on my multigrain tortilla chip. That is surprisingly lovely. It doesn't remind me of guacamole at all. It's more like a mango salsa. And when thinking about it in that way, it's absolutely lovely. The banana flavor doesn't come through a whole lot, but the lime does. And the lime goes really well with the pimento and the onion. And yeah, I could totally eat this more often. I got a little of the banana with that one. The spice level is quite good. I'm getting a little bit of a kick. I'm not somebody who loves hot, hot, hot food. If I'm given a scale of one to 10, I usually go five. And there's a little bit of a kick to this, which surprised me because usually with recipes from this time period, they tend to go a little bland, but this is really nice. And the citrus is absolutely beautiful. The banana goes great with the citrus. Yeah, it it's a beautifully well-balanced recipe. I recommend this. It does recommend that you serve it with plantain chips. I was being lazy. I didn't want to make plantain chips. This goes great with tortilla chips. I imagine it would go great with plantain chips. I was a little surprised that they didn't put salt in it, but honestly, it doesn't need it. Which coming from me right now, I have been craving salt like mad lately. So, I mean, it's a really nice recipe. 
and I don't have to worry about washing it down with my daiquiri, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's a lot of rum. It's a delicious daiquiri. I would put more banana in it. It's been sitting for a bit because I was taking pictures and making everything look pretty. So my ice melted a good bit, but it's absolutely lovely. I'm looking forward to drinking both of them. And this might actually go into my regular rotation of drinks. I tend to not drink a whole lot of rum. I'm more of a bourbon girl, but this I think I could, I could get behind. It isn't overly sweet. It is a little alcoholic for my taste, but I mean, easy fix to that. And it may have also been that I miscounted as I was putting in my jiggers of rum as it turns out, there are 2.99993 tablespoons per jigger. So I used that as my base. I may have accidentally miscalculated a little as I was estimating in the 0.5. Still good, rummy. Well, that is it for this episode, and I am looking forward to drinking the rest of these banana daiquiris and watching the hockey game. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my sister April for being my hosting angel. She paid my hosting bill for this upcoming year, so I will be able to continue to give you wonderful episodes of the Eat It Lose podcast. And she also designed my logo, so thank you for both of those things, April. And thank you for subscribing, if you subscribed to the podcast. If you want to subscribe but haven't done yet, you can go to iTunes and subscribe from there. You can find pictures from this episode on our website at eatatlose.com, E-A-T-A-T-L-U-S.com. You can find us on Facebook at Eat at Lose, the podcast. I'm on Twitter at Lulu234, that's L-U-L-O-O-234. And this podcast, as I mentioned, is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. So until next time, I wish on you many great culinary adventures. And let me know what you think of the banana mole if you decide to give it a try, because I think it's well worth it.